0: Come, Holy Spirit, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Open the eyes of our hearts and see through them. Open our lips and speak through them. Set our souls on fire. Please be seated. Today is the end of the church year. So what does that make next Sunday? Yeah, it's Advent next week, right? Happy New Year almost. So as we close out the year, like, you know, businesses, they close out the year, right? Everything, remaining stock, everything must go. All absolutions, half price. <laughs> Confess your sins today. Get ready for that. Christ the King Sunday. Today is Christ the King Sunday. And the King has taken this road. He's taken this from The story of the crucifixion. And the story of Jesus being numbered among the transgressors as it's prophesied in the middle of these two thieves, and we remember Christ the King. Christ the King. Now I've been in churches that have um, quite Catholic churches, Episcopal, but quite Catholic, and behind the altar you would find these large crosses of, of Jesus. Um, almost looking like Jesus was about to do like, remember, remember Wide World of Sports? Cliff diving from Acapulco? Right? They get right to the edge, toes over the edge, right? And then they, then they fly, right? So it, it looked like diving board Jesus. It's called the Christus Rex. And apparently Jesus was an Episcopalian, or at least shocked at all me, because he had one of these on. And there he was, quite dignified looking, looking out over the church as God and King. Also ready to stick a 10-point dot. A 19th century sculptor, Danish, you might know him, Keith. Bertolt Thorpe Boldson wanted to create a statue, Representing Christ the King. And so if you're if if you know about sculpting, they always make a model. Right? They'll make a model first. And so Thor Bolton made this model out of clay. And there's there's a structure that's underneath the clay that's supposed to kind of hold it all together. And it created this one where you know Jesus has his head up as he's looking out, you know, over over his kingdom as the king and and his hands are kind of raised in this this posture of, you know, I am in in, in control here, I'm blessing the people, I'm I'm in control of things, right? Has this very kind of powerful appearance as the king. And he constructed this model out of clay and and I don't know if it was like the, the damp air or maybe there was too much moisture in the clay or or just too much clay for that that inner structure to hold, but when he came in the next day, his model was ruined. At least maybe that's what an artist would think because they intended one thing. He came in the next day and and the head of this this model, instead of kind of being up and out, looking out, in control, in charge of everything, the head had drooped. And the arms had gone from this down to this. Down to this. And he thought about it. yes. Okay? What'd you say, Carolyn? Perfect. Yes, perfect. Absolutely perfect. See, his, his first thought was, oh, this, this has gone bad. But then in that image of, of the king whose eyes are down, the humble king. And in fact, the king, instead of looking over us, <laughs> The King who now sees us in our woundedness, in our brokenness, in our struggle—the one whose eyes are cast down because because that's where we are—we're we're 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 the broken ones, who He is Lord and Savior for. And His arms are are instead of over like this, they're they're now they're now like this. And and at the bottom of it, He saw this as beautiful and, and wonderful, and he, and he and He made the statue like that. that's that's. That's the, the king that he made. You can find the original in the National Cathedral in Denmark. The Lutheran National Cathedral in Denmark has the original. It's a very popular statue. It's called Christus. Christus. And at the base of the statue, it says, come to me. It's a piece of Matthew chapter 11, verse twenty. Now, those of you who remember the older prayer book or those who have been um, in churches where you do a right one like we do at 8 o'clock, you know, when we we do the Confession of the Absolution, after that are these words known as the comfortable words. Right? Just the assurance of God's love. And in our own prayer book, if you look at that right one, Holy Eucharist, those comfortable words, the very first scripture passage you'll find there is Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me. All ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you think about that image of Christ who who has his eyes on us, who are travailing and burdened and weary and needing rest, who have been weighed down, worn down, beaten down, broken, wounded. And he's saying, come to me. His arms of love are open to us. And I think about those wonderful words that Jesus is saying, okay, which which one of us is not weary of something? Who's not burdened by something either in your life, in the past, or something you're concerned about in the future? Relationships? Family matters? Just wait, Thanksgiving's coming, right? (laughs) Right? People are passing around this kind of diagram thing about where you're going to sit everybody around the the table so the people that have different views on things aren't next to each other. (laughs) Because we know life is like that, right? We live in a troubled time, but it's always been a troubled time. People have always been struggling with family relationships. We've been struggling with our health, with our security. And some of us are flat worn out. Struggling with things. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows that. Are you carrying heavy burdens of your own health, of the health of a family member, of financial situations, of family matters, concerns for church, community, and the world? What are the things that are weighing you down? And Jesus sees you, every one of you, and says, come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me, me." all of you. All of you. I got real big arms. You know how big my arms are? They're this big. He stretched out his arms this wide and he died for all of you. He has huge arms. Huge arms. And he says, See, I think, I think that thief recognized that. I think he recognized that. He knew who Jesus was. He knew. And don't miss the words that he is sharing. He's testifying. This is his confession. This is his witness. From his own cross, he kind of looks over at Jesus and he sees him and he recognizes this is the this is God of compassion and mercy. This is the God of forgiveness who is right here. He sees that and he, and he confesses, you know, I have committed sins. I deserve what I'm getting, but not this guy. Not this guy. That's his confession. Notice all the other disciples, they've run away. Who's there to witness to who Jesus is? The crowds are mocking him, the soldiers, the rulers, they're all mocking him. The other, the other criminals mocking him. It's this one, this one thief who sees something in that moment. And he makes his confession of faith. He actually has a name. The church calls him Demas. Saint Demas, the repentant thief. You might remember him from that great cinematic, cinematic um, masterpiece, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, <laughs> because they went to San Dimas High School. <laughs> They're actually in the San Dimas, California. He's a saint of the church. He saw something in this crucified rabbi. And I think it's interesting that he that he doesn't say like the other. He says, you know, hey, get us out of here, right? That's not what he asks for. I know you can do this, right? You know all this other stuff. Get us out of here. He doesn't. He doesn't do that. He actually asks for something much more important, much bigger than that. He says, "Remember me. Remember me. Remember me." Because in the Hebrew Scripture. When God remembers, God always remembers for. Always remembers for. God knows what we are, right? The, The scriptures tell us we are but dust, right? And God knows that. God knows our brokenness. Jesus knows that about us. That we are broken, flawed, scared, right? And we carry a lot of baggage, a lot of woundedness, and he knows that. He says, come to me, come to me. You see, in the Old Testament, you come across things like the story of Noah. Things went really bad, right? The world was full of sin, everything's all messed up. And God said, you know, time to start over. So he calls Noah, and Noah builds the big boat, and he takes all the animals in, and and then the rains come, right? Rains for forty days and forty nights, which basically means a real long time. Okay, a really long time. And everything that has life is killed. Except for Noah and his family and the animals that are on the ark. And it says that the waters continue to rise for 150 days. I don't know if that's like in addition to the 40, but just imagine, you know, 150 or maybe 190 days. (laughs) You're in this container... And it's just you and your family and everything else is gone. Everything is gone. Some of us might have had experiences like that, or we might be experiencing something now where everything seems to be gone. Our lives have been lives of incredible, incredible loss. Some of us that we might want to stay inside our heart for fear of what is outside. We've closed ourselves off because we don't want to be hurt anymore. In a lot of ways we might think of ourselves as Noah, out on that water, the water represents chaos and death. A lot of us has experienced too much chaos and death. And we might feel like God has forgotten us. It says after 150 days, God remembered. No. God remembered. And after God remembers, that's when the Spirit of God moves and the waters begin to recede. God remembers. God knows your struggles. God knows your suffering. God knows your losses. God knows your hopes for a better life. God knows that. Knows it all. When God remembers, God remembers for something good for you. Yes, Lord, remember us. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Another example, there's a, a woman named Hannah that you'll find in the first chapters of the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. Remember the story of Hannah? Hannah had a husband who was a about-husband, Elkanah, and had a co-wife because Elkanah had a second wife. You know what he was thinking? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> he had a second wife, Penaniah. And Penaniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And I used to rub Hannah's nose in it. Made her feel bad about the lack of children. She had no sons. And Elkhana knew this. He knew that the wives weren't getting along. He knew that one wife was, was belittling the other one and, and making her envious and jealous and doing all those horrible things that, frankly, families do to each other. Right? This is real life. And it says that when, when Elkanah would go and, and make sacrifice in the temple. See, when you, when you offer something in the temple, you didn't just leave it there. You kind of went and offered it to God and God said, okay, oh, you, you can take that now. So you bring your pork roast. Well, not pork roast, but you bring your you bring your leg of lamb in and you take your leg of lamb home. <laughs> right, Andy? All right. And it said that Elkanah would always give a double share to to Hannah, because he saw her suffering, her grief that she had in child, To try to make up for the ridicule, perhaps, that she was receiving from, from the co-wife, Hannah and I. Gave her a double portion. And then he, then, he, then he kind of did one of those things that husbands do. You, you say something and you really don't want the answer to that. He said, am I not more valuable to you, I'm talking to his wife, Hannah, am I not more valuable to you than, than ten sons? No. <laughs> no. That's not going to help you with his wife. do not you get rid of her? All right, that might be better. And so one day, the story tells us, one day Hannah goes to the temple and she's praying. She's praying. And she's praying that God would give her a son. And She makes a promise. Give me a son and I will dedicate him to you. I will give him back to you. That's a big deal. If you haven't had a son yet, give me one, I'll give him right back. And as she's praying and asking God, making this promise, he'll be a Nazarite, he won't drink any boots farm, and he will never cut his hair, right? And, and I'll, he'll be dedicated to the temple, and he'll grow up there with the priest. Eli, the priest, sees her. And she's praying and her lips are moving, but no words are coming out, right? She's praying, but her lips are moving. And, and, he, and he looks at her and goes, She's drunk. He accuses her of being drunk. He, he goes up to her and says, How how much longer are you to make a spectacle of yourself? Get out of here, you drunk woman. He goes, Now I'm grieving. I'm praying. I've asked God for a child. I haven't had, haven't had a child. I really, that's my heart's desire. I, I, I really want a child. And I promised that child to God. If God will give me a child, I'll give him right back. And so he blessed her. He blessed her. She went home. And the story tells us that, you know, um, Elkanah and Hannah were off doing something and later that afternoon, star rockets in flight. <laughs> you remember that seventy son? Yeah. He knew his wife. <laughs> and she conceived. And she bore a son. And she took that child as she promised and gave him to the temple. And later on we hear this story about that boy going to Eli, saying, I heard a voice, are you calling me? Who's this boy? It's Samuel. This is Samuel, the great prophet, who was born of this woman who said, Lord, remember me, remember me. And that thing that she wanted so much, God remembered for her, the desire of her heart. And I think San Dimas, as he's on that cross and he sees Jesus and he goes, this is the God of compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Remember me. And I think all of us need to remember that. To remember that. What is it that is weighing on you? What's weighing on you? What's hurting you? What are you suffering under? What is the weight you're carrying? What is your woundedness? Is it something personal? Is it it an illness that has affected you? Jesus, remember me. Jesus, remember me. Remember the cancer that I'm carrying, Jesus. Remember that. Is it a child? A family member? A child? Is it a brother? A sister? Is it a grandchild? Who is it you want Jesus to remember? Is it brokenness in your family? Jesus, remember my family. What is it you want Jesus to remember? Because he is that God of compassion, mercy, and forgiveness. He is God. And when God remembers, God always remembers. And he says to us, come to me. Amen. Amen.